it's a wonder we're still here half the time. We are extremely resilient as a sector. And part of it is to do with the fact that we are small. Uh, and in fact, we've structured ourselves uh, that way as a sector to respond to these sorts of things. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking building and construction industry recovery post-COVID-19 and are joined by Warwick Quinn of BCITO and Graham Burke of NZCIC. Warwick joined BCITO in 2016 as Chief Executive and works to ensure the construction industry has a skilled workforce full of competent, capable and motivated professionals, driving on the job training and guidance alongside industry employers. Graham is Chair of the Construction Industry Council, a not-for-profit industry association of associations in the building and construction, design and property sectors. The CIC's focus is to create a collaborative voice of the built environment industry in New Zealand. So Graham, starting with you, what do you see as the short-term challenges arising from COVID-19 for the construction sector? Um, just, just at the moment, I think most people are still pretty busy. Um, obviously, we, we've still got issues with the actual uh, dynamics of going to work in level two and potentially having to go back up. So people are still managing contact tracing, trying to keep physical distancing and what have you, but I think that's probably getting more business as usual. Um, but outside of that, I, I think the biggest issue we're going to be facing is just that downturn in consumer confidence. And Warwick, what about you? What are you seeing in terms of the impact on apprentices and those who are in training? Yeah, so at this stage, um, we're holding our own when it comes to the number of apprentices we had in the system, hovering around 13,000 for the 15 trades that we covered. We would normally at this point, though, be signing up between 200 to 250 a week uh, over the lockdown period. So as a result of that, we signed up you know, very few, only a handful. So compared to the same period last year, we're operating at about 60% uh, on the number of signups. We're about 40% down. Um, and if you project out uh, as the sector starts to shrink over the next 12 months or so, maybe even sooner, uh, that we're likely to see apprentice numbers fall as a result of them being laid off. And as Graham said, uh, that's when it will bite because initially at the moment, everybody's flat out finishing the work they've got. And you'll get very mixed messages depending on what firm you talk to about how they're feeling. Uh, and so it won't be for a while yet until we start to see a, you know, a more consistent trend about how the construction market responds to a flattening uh, property market. Graham, you mentioned uh, consumer confidence. Are there any impacts directly of the lockdown period and potential disruption to the global supply chains? Um, there, there were some, we know that there were some disruptions before we actually had a COVID-19 problem in New Zealand with our, with our supply chain, especially from um, Asia. But to the best of my knowledge, those issues have been overcome and there's, there's no direct issues that I'm aware of other than um, some of the smaller businesses around are talking about 
obviously taking extra time to pick their supplies up out of suppliers and what have you, but there's no actual material issues that I'm aware of at the moment. Warwick, starting with you, what do you think the longer-term impacts of this um, in terms of the um, global financial outlook would have on our industry? Yeah, it's not going to be pretty um, if you... Um, if, if, if you look at previous recessions, uh, 2008 uh, is one example, 1997 with the Asian financial crisis is another example. And uh, for those of you who are old enough and can remember uh, the 1987 stock market crash. Now generally, uh, these, these kind of global effects, um, what triggers them are always different. The circumstances around why we have a recession uh, is different but how the property market and the construction sector responds is pretty much always the same. Uh, because of the uh, significant financial hit that general consumers take, whether that's a company or an individual, uh, their reluctance to invest uh, in large capital projects like building um, is put on the back burner while they try and stabilize or have more confidence. And so we're likely to see that play out. Um, for, for training, uh, about 80% of all construction training is done in the residential market, which is a market that the government has the least ability to influence because it's you know, 95% driven by consumers uh, ordering a home and uh, deciding to do an extension. And that will, that, will be, um, that will play out over the next 12 months or so. Uh, and uh, because construction forms about 25% of all property sales. New homes have to compete with existing house prices. And if existing house prices fall, new homes look very unattractive. Uh, and therefore, that level of investment is likely to be uh, under quite a lot of pressure over the next little while. We hope we're wrong, but it's unlikely to be, given uh, where we are at the moment and what's panned out in previous recessions is almost a mirror image. Graham, is that what you're feeling as well? Unfortunately, um, it's good to see the government are, are taking steps to try and, um, you know, have a positive influence. Um, you know, uh, to the announcement over the weekend that um, doing away with permitting on on some some smaller jobs is actually you know pretty good news at that end of the market. Um, I don't think it's going to have a significant effect, but anything we can do to actually lift lift consumer confidence will be a good thing. Um, the, the way the banks behave is, is critical, but of course the banks are risk averse and um, you know, at the time when we really need them to open the, open the purse strings, they tend to close them up. But um, we, we, any, anything that will, will actually induce some confidence in the market will, will be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And just on, further on that, what do you think is the role of government in the private sector in stimulating that um, response to the challenges? Well, as Warwick just said, it's it's a big ask to get the government to stimulate the private sector to the extent that it would be business as usual. Um, it's probably probably not possible, but certainly um, if if the government lifts their spending, if the people if people on the street have got money in their pocket, if they can see a, a, a you know light at the end of the tunnel, um, and to be honest, we can do a fair bit ourselves just by um, consciously avoiding the negative talk. Um, you know, every every time somebody gets out in the media and states the obvious that we're in for a rough time, it, it tends to have a negative impact on that on that consumer confidence. Mm -hmm. 
Greg, do you think there are any gaps um, that could be filled either by further government support or the sector itself taking more control? It's, it, it's pretty difficult if you're looking at, you know, if I'm looking at it from a training perspective. Certainly on the infrastructure front, the government's a major investor there along with local government. They basically hold, you know, a huge chunk of the purse strings. Uh, and by bringing forward those projects uh, uh, and, you know, in, investing in that area is key. Um, infrastructure from a government perspective includes public infrastructure, which is not just roads and bridges and bits and pieces. It includes you know, hospitals and schools and the sorts of assets that they own, which in the private sector we call them commercial. So they, you know, they have a reasonable ability to influence uh, that. What they've done with the investment package uh, announced in the budget is, um, you know, of one point six billion. They're doing as much as they can to try and stimulate, you know, work, because from a training perspective, what keeps people in training is work. Um, so they're looking at what they can do there and also ensuring that the pipeline is able to be um, filled and ready when the economy does recover. Because just as it shrinks, it'll recover again. Happens all the time and it will bounce even bigger uh, and we'll be screaming out for more skills on the other side. And so trying to keep that pipeline going is, you know, is really important. What we're also doing is trying to bring forward the reforms of vocational education so that the, you know, the polytech sector and the industry training sector is well joined up and operating seamlessly because we need that support mechanism for that to work as well as we possibly can. So they are doing a, you know, an awful lot uh, when it comes to their confidence and investment in training. And as Graham said, it's all about confidence. And um, the more you talk it down, the more it will stop because that's just the nature of things. And really during these sorts of recessions, it's never a better time to build you'll get a competitive price, you'll have tradies available, um, things will never generally be cheaper, uh, and uh, it's just a matter of your long-term outlook. If you're not too worried about price because you are more interested in your quality of life and you're going to be in a home for 20 years, well, then these short, sharp recessions don't matter. Uh, but if you're mortgaged to the eyeballs and you've got no room, well, then it would be foolish to try and invest at the moment. But for you know, for those that want you know want to continue, it's actually an opportunity uh, if they think about it. We've we've also got record low interest rates at the moment, which um, you know certainly in my lifetime we've never ever seen interest rates that low. And um, if, as, as far as actually servicing debt, it, it's way more favourable than we've seen. If you think back to the the biggest recession of my time, which was following the '87 stock market crash. You know, we were coming down off interest rates as high as well, 20% plus on first home loans. Now people are looking down at sub 4%. It's, um, for, for somebody of my generation, that's free money almost. So that in itself has got to be an encouragement for people to invest for the future. Um, really pleasing to see the government investing heavily in, in um, government houses and um, also not, not just new housing stock, but improving the, the current stock. And um, because that, that really creates jobs and it creates jobs in that SME sector. So the other thing I'm really hopeful is in the shovel ready work that a lot that that they'll be uh, looking at jobs that can actually be um, well they're, they're certainly looking at at, at um, stimulating the regions, and a lot of that work can be can be actually carried out by local contractors and and actually it, it creates a lot of work in 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 the area. So. 
that if people are working and they've got money coming in, you know, it creates confidence and, and gets things going again. Mm -hmm. There has been some discussion around the focus on horizontal versus vertical construction in the stimulus that has been announced. What, what are your comments there? Um, I think from a uh, fr from a redeployment perspective, being able to redeploy people from either within the sector or from other sectors to actually get them trained up with a base level of skills to actually uh, you know, work in those shovel-ready and large projects uh, is a good thing. And particularly if we can create a net that catches those that fall out of the system uh, who would otherwise, you know, complete their, their work or their training uh, and re and keep them within the ecosystem of construction is a is a is a good thing. We know that um, the government's uh, initiative relating to free fees is trying to ensure that fees don't become a barrier for people to continue their learning if they do lose their work or have to work somewhere else because they want them to be skilled up. And so rather than have them, you know, working for conservation, shooting rabbits and planting trees, we'd sooner have them in construction because it keeps them within the wider system. They can continue to learn. Uh, and, you know, construction's a great opportunity for them to grow into other skills as well and keep that, keep that close connection. Uh, and so that's an important first step rather than try and move them into some other sector altogether where we're more likely to lose them. Graham, did you have a comment on the vertical versus horizontal focus? Yeah, look, it's um, if we we've got a huge infrastructure deficit in New Zealand, so I think we we all support spending on infrastructure. Um, as Warwick says, most of the jobs and most of the training is actually in commercial and residential construction. There, well, mostly actually in residential and specialist trades. So, you know, if we want to if we want to stimulate spending in the in the actual construction sector and employment within the construction sector, then we we need to have a a, um, a focus on that on that type of work. Certainly, as far as skills in the sector, retaining the skills we've got has got to be the first priority. Um, and you know, we've suffered for years with the cyclic economy, as, as Warwick said before. We have a recession about every ten years, and we never quite seem to regain the skill base that we had before the last one. So, uh, if there's if there's something that we can do differently, it's actually trying to retain that talent within the industry. We did see some good things coming out from the construction accord during the lockdown period. How responsive do you think the accord team were? Um, I might be biased because I'm part of the construction accord steering group, but um, I, I think we've been extremely fortunate to have it in place. I know that the government has listened to us intently. Uh, we're, we're seeing some of the advice that we've given government um, through the accord actually coming out in, in the um, policy statements that we that we're seeing through the budget and other announcements, um, it's yeah it, it's worked, worked really well and it's um, it's a almost direct well it is a direct inf interface to government through their officials. Um, we've had a lot of attention from from ministers during the crisis, um, and it's enabled us to um, to to actually move quickly on things like the uh, health and safety protocols to get back to work because we've had that close alignment with government officials. Of course, early on, we were having a lot of comparisons to the GFC. So I think in people's planning, they were thinking GFC type scenario. How do you think this is going to play out differently to the GFC? 
Um, I don't think it will. Um, I think from a public sentiment perspective and a confidence perspective, it'll just run its course. Um, what we will hopefully have in place, though, is a much stronger workforce um, that are trained up and skilled enough to respond quickly when the when the recovery does happen, because it does recover quickly, uh, and we're always in a catch-up mode uh, when that does happen and screaming out for skills. And in the past, uh, all governments have left it to market forces to determine our supply and demand needs. And, you know, in some, in some ways, uh, that's fine when you have short recessions because you kind of have this equilibrium. When you have an extended recession like we did in 2008, the whole sector utterly restructured itself to cater for 15,000 new house builds a year. And we did that for five or six years. Four years on, here we are at 37,000 and we're really struggling for capacity. So having that capacity ready to go, uh, I think uh, is a really important uh, aspect because the fundamentals of the housing market haven't changed. The fundamentals of land supply hasn't changed. We're not changing the things that we need to address to, to fix your housing shortage. And um, we'll be in a worse position in five years' time uh, because we will have built fewer homes, would have continued to grow, and we'll have a greater hole to fill as, as, as we do now, unless we do something radical on the RMA front, which they won't do. So um, all we're doing is deferring our housing crisis to another day, uh, but it, it, is, it is still there. I think, I think on a positive note, what we've got this time that we didn't have before is an assurance from government that we that at least as a, as a procurer, they're not going to lead the race to the bottom that we, we generally see. So uh, through, the, through the accord, government procuring agencies have assured us that they are going to, con are going to concentrate on value rather than just that bottom price. Uh, we know from um, contracts that are currently being tendered that there is a um, a focus on the um, social values of the contracts, not just the uh, you know the non-cash attributes of tenders, which is really pleasing to see. Um, people who've been through a couple of recessions will tell you that it's not just a shortage of work, but that absolute um, zero margin or negative margin behaviour that that takes so long to recover from. So it, you know, let, let's all learn from from our past problems and um, avoid that trap. Rick, what do you think the impacts will be, positive or negative, in terms of um, being able to attract new entrants into the industry? So from a training perspective, uh, what we're seeing can only be positive compared to previous responses. Uh, and we've already got um, a list of, uh, of apprentices or budding apprentices and employers wanting to sign, you know, in more training. And they're just waiting on the final decisions around what what courses are, um, are subject to free fees. And so anything that strips away that burden uh, can only be on the positive side, notwithstanding we're gonna go through a rough little little while, on the other side of the coin, uh, having access to, you know, to free education uh, is a great stimulus. And even if they haven't got work, uh, we're working furiously behind the scenes to make sure that while they might be training in a classroom or remotely, they do get access to uh, real life working environments so they can apply their skills and we can assess them and qualify them anyway. 
because it's that application of the skills that's really important. So from that perspective, it's very positive. And uh, if we can put the things, the stepping stones and the building blocks in place over the next month or so, then they will not be negatively affected. And, you know, from a business point of view, those firms that manage to retain the talent that they've already got, and, and especially if they can continue to train your apprentices through this, will come out that much stronger on the other side. And those, those will be the ones that are really set to take advantage of, of the upswing. And as Warwick says, there will have to be an upswing. There always is. Graham, what are some of the underlying challenges that are facing the sector that have now been exacerbated by COVID-19? Um, I, I think probably the, the lack of resilience within a lot of businesses. Um, people, uh, a lot of businesses haven't over the years invested in their balance sheets, largely as a result of, of low margins. And um, so anybody who's um, who had a cash flow problem leading up to this is it's going to be worsening. So going forward, I, I think that will be one of the biggest challenges. Um, wherever you are in the supply chain, uh, attention to your uh, debt as legal will be tantamount. Um, managing and forecasting your your cash will never be more important, and those relationships with the with the bank and your supply chain are absolutely vital. One of, one of the one of the um, positives and negatives from how we're structured is uh, because we're made up, you know, ninety five percent of our businesses in construction have ten staff or less. Um, you don't have layoffs of thousands at a time because we've got large firms, aka New Zealand or Fletcher's, laying off a thousand or two thousand workers. Um, we are, in some respects, a lot more nimble uh, and able to respond because we're small uh, in that regard. So whilst it can be a negative on some, on some occasions, it's actually a positive because you know construction goes through these boom-bust cycles every year. It's a wonder we're still here half the time. We are extremely resilient as a sector, and part of it is to do with the fact that we are small. Uh, and in fact, we've structured ourselves uh, that way as a sector to respond to these sorts of things, um, along with a whole bunch of other reasons. So whilst it's a negative in some respects, it's also a positive. It allows us to uh, be a lot more fleet of foot than we might otherwise have been. And do you guys see any um, silver linings from this experience? I do. Um, I, I'm hoping, certainly from a you know, from an investment and training perspective, because that's the lens that I work through, that if we are able to catch those that fall out, continue to build the pipeline irrespective, and so when the market does recover, um, we're ready to go with the right skills at the right place at the right time, that that becomes our permanent model because the current model is broken during times like this. So if we can develop what we think we need to have in place, Next time you have one of these recessions, because we will, uh, just as we'll have a boom, uh, we'll have another way of actually operating that makes it a lot more clearer. And we won't be building it as we go. We'll know how to switch. Um, and so government investment and policies can be turned quickly uh, so that these things are available a lot faster than they might otherwise be. I think from a small business point of view, I think um, you know this has hit us pretty quickly. Um, 
you know, the, the, the lockdown happened within a couple of days' notice. Um, and even though we're all relying on uh, getting out to site to actually make a living, um, just uh, people working remotely, the um, uptake, uptake of technology um, has, has been ab absolutely amazing. And even now returning to work and contact tracing and what have you, the, the, um, the use of apps and um, electronic medium to do all these things, um, I, I, I think a lot of that will, will surely carry on into the future, just the uptake of technology. Um, I think people will concentrate more on resilience and less on growth, perhaps. Um, you know, growth is often at the expense of resilience and really it should, should be balanced. And I think when we have a, a situation like this, especially one that, that um, catches us quickly, the GFC, I think anybody who was at all astute could see the, the, cri the crisis looming for quite some time. Um, COVID was barely, a, barely a, even a rumour at Christmas. We heard about something happening over in, over in China. But it, it came to light here in a, in a matter of weeks. So um, I, I think the way people think about the future may change a wee bit. Yeah, and I think I think the the uh, a, lo a whole bunch of young kids and firms have never seen a recession before. They've only ever worked in boom times. So this is this will be a learning experience for them. And um, they're always. We've got to keep an eye on the long term here. Uh, get through this, and um, we'll be fine. Uh, property values may fall, um, but they always respond. Gee, I was valuer general in 1997, and I can remember having massive discussions with people around whether mortgagee sales were the actual market price in some parts of the country. It was that dire. Yet five years later, everyone had forgotten about it, and it'll be exactly the same. Uh, of course, but when it's right in front of you, that makes it quite dramatic. But have a longer-term lens on it, and you have to weather this and move on. So it won't remain uh, that way forever. Yeah, I think those businesses that that you know that are a good resilient business that um, can actually continue to invest in their people, especially those that invest in their people, will come out of this on the other side and do better than they've ever done. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Warwick and Graham today. If you'd like to connect more with them, you'll find their details in the show notes. This was such a timely conversation given all that has happened over the past few months. It reminds me of what UN Secretary General said of COVID-19. What the world needs now is solidarity. With solidarity, we can defeat the virus and build a better world. It's why it's important for the building and construction industry associations to come together during this time and collaborate. Together, we can do so much more. Hey team, my name is Greg Buckley and I'm the Innovation and Transformation Architect here at HERA. Wanted to talk to you really quickly today about Kotahitanga, which is our people in HR innovation cluster. And I think it's going to tie really nicely into Graham's comments around the opportunity that there is for businesses to look at not only developing resilience, but training and developing their people to not just survive uh, this recovery period that we're in, that we're in, but also to thrive. So if you're interested in uh, finding out more about HERA's offering and how we might be able to help build resilience, train your people and uh, develop your business, get in touch with me and my details are in the show notes.